The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be back and to have you all with us, but I'm even more excited for our special guest today. He's the president of Upside Capital, Tim Vitale. Tim, thank you for joining us. How are you today, sir? Cody, thanks for having me, man. It's a bright, shiny day, sunny day outside, and I can't—I got no complaints. Hey, man, I, I'm looking out my window, too, and it's like, man, if it weren't so humid, I would be outside, but that's what's keeping me inside and just looking out this beautiful sunny day. So seriously though, thank you for coming. I know we, we tried to get you on for a little bit, so we're so excited to have you here. I know you got some good stuff for us and the audience today, but before we jump into all that, just in case our audience hasn't had a chance to meet you and, and see some of your stuff yet, would love to get your origin story, where you're from, how you got into real estate and what you find yourself doing these days. Yeah, try to make that real quick. Originally from Bridgeport, Connecticut. I live in Wilmington, North Carolina now. I got into the residential real estate space when I got promoted to assistant VP of finance for a Fortune 500 insurance company, and I got a 3% raise. And I, my whole life, I had been told, this is when you make the buku bucks, you know, the 50, 100% raises, this is that and the other thing. And I went from making like 99,000 to 103. And I was just like, wait a second, this isn't how I'm going to buy that house on the water and a new boat and all, you know, I don't, this doesn't build the lifestyle that I wanted. So in 20, early 2019, I started looking into real estate. I come from a real estate family kind of background up in Connecticut. So it made sense to me. I was very comfortable with this subject. And I started to learn how I could make money with it. Bought one single family house, learned very quickly that that's not scalable, asked the question of how do I use the income-based approach instead of the comp-based approach, and was told by the mortgage loan officer to that that was for commercial property only. And coming from a finance corporate background, income and expenses and valuations on a cap rate and NOI makes sense to me. Like that's my happy place come, you know, working in the finance career for over 10 years. So that was early 2020. It took about 18 months from there to buy my first commercial real estate deal. And since then, we've done six transactions, $20 million in purchase volume, and we have $25 million under contract as of right now, set to close over. We have one deal closing in 20 days and then pretty much a deal a month now through September-ish, September, October-ish. We got five deals under contract right now for $25 million. Well, and just for those keeping along at home, I wrote this down, 18 months from when you started till when you bought your first property. But now, since you bought your first property, you got six, you already got six and more in the hopper. That's right. So for those that are listening, and I think we're going to talk about a little bit about this today. If you're, if you're thinking, and that was in the hot market, right? You know, mm-hmm. you got to be thinking it can take longer than expected. I've heard some that got their first property within a few months, others 18 and beyond months. Sometimes it just takes time. You got to find the right one. And if you're doing the right underwriting, I think it pays off in the end. Yeah. But, but Tim, I know you, you've had, you know, some different challenges and ups and downs and, and things that you've done in your career thus far. Would love to hear one of your unsuccess stories and help educate myself and the audience as well on maybe some things to avoid or look out for based on the experiences you've had. Yeah, I, I'm so grateful to come on and talk about this because it is so relevant. You know, there's so many people out there trying to get their first deal done. And the law of the first deal is a real thing. You know, basically, once I did my first deal, we closed about a deal a month after that for, for like six months. 
We had a little bit of a lull over the last couple of months where we were stabilizing assets and things like that. And now we're like kicking it right now. Like mm-hmm. we got so much stuff in the hopper. It's crazy. We got another like $50 million worth of LOIs out, right? So if we land any of those, I mean, we're, we're set right through the end of the year. But the biggest thing that the Unsuccess Story podcast would like to hear is how did I almost fail? Right before I found success, it was May 2021. I did my first deal in August 2021. May 2021 going into June. I was asked to be part of a GP team to raise some money, help with due diligence, things like that in order to get my feet wet. And gladly, I I accepted. I had been kind of involved in these guys' life for a while. I had been building investor relationships and and underwriting a ton of deals. And there were deals there that had an LOI accepted, but fell out before we got to a purchase and sale agreement. And that's kind of a story for another day. But this is the most monumental one that really affected my life and my mindset and, and kind of shaped the trajectory of my career. So this is the perfect story for your podcast listeners. I was asked to be part of that team and raise money for a deal. And it was, uh, they had one deal under contract already. I had already been talking with investors. I actually flew down to Florida and met with one of my larger investors who was interested in the deal and interested in the market. And unfortunately, or fortunately, or unfortunately, the deal didn't end up working out. So they said, they called me and they're, you know, the main operators were like, hey, sorry, this deal's not working out. We're back. You know, we saw a preview of the units. And then when we actually got it under contract and did, you know, inspections on the whole property, it was not as advertised, you know, and the rehab budget had to like double instead. So it didn't work anymore at that point. And, but they were like, hey, no, and I told her, hey, I've already raised like $400,000 on this deal. What's the story? Like, what do, you, what do we do here? And he was like, well, we got another deal under contract. Why don't you just, you know, push them over into that one to kind of say, tell them the story, tell them what happened. So we did that. And so this other deal, we started doing due diligence on it. And I, I was still working my W-2 job at the time. So it was significant for me to take a day off of work, took a day off of work, went up there. I did due diligence with the team. I led a team of people, kind of took notes. And, you know, I, I established myself as a leader, right, on that job site, if you would. And I didn't have experience per se, but I had bought a single family house before. I bought a residential house. I mean, really at the end of the day, it's no different than buying residential real estate. And so took a day off, did the due diligence, spent the whole day there, raised $400,000, continued to talk with my investors. And then I got the call from them saying, hey man, we don't need you anymore. I said, what? What are you talking about? You don't need me anymore. You asked me to be a partner in this deal. I took time off from work. I raised money on this deal. I flew to Florida to meet with my investors. I've already pushed them from one deal to the next deal. And now you're saying that you don't need me anymore. And he goes, yeah, sorry, it's out of my control. They don't, we don't need help on the capital raise side of things. And I was like, well, what about the due diligence? Like, oh, we thought you did that out of the goodness of your heart. Oh, sure. So yeah, yeah. I love doing stuff out of the goodness of my heart in order to re- build rapport with people and just kind of you know, do things for free so that you can make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Like, yes, that definitely aligns with what I'm trying to achieve. And that moment right there almost made me quit. I started to doubt myself. I said, am I just in the wrong industry? Am I, am I not doing the right things? Am I not building relationships with the right people? What am I doing wrong here? I, I have been working so hard at this. I was working, you know, being AVP of a Fortune 500 company is not an easy job managing a group of people and reporting in the CFO and the CEO, all of those types of things. So I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning to do like education type things in real estate and underwriting deals, sending emails to brokers. I'd work my day job from like eight to five, six, seven o'clock. And then I'd work real estate again till 10, 11 o'clock, right? So I was working like 
15, 16 hour days every day. I actually had to make it a point that every Friday evening, I would not work on real estate stuff after my day job. And I would watch a movie with my wife, right? Because I just never spent any time with her. And it, our, our relationship suffered for, for a while because of the de dedication that I had and the time commitment I had to become successful in what I wanted to do. And that was multifamily, commercial multifamily syndications. And I, so I doubted myself. And basically I, I had this conversation with my wife and she was like, you didn't come this far just to come this far, right? You've been right. doing this for years. You've been doing it for years. You're building all the relationships. You're one of the most outgoing, friendly people that I've seen. And yeah, somebody took advantage of you. They did. And now they lost the opportunity to have a partner with me because they made me feel terrible, right? At the end of the day. And they lost out on the opportunity to work with me. And, and that's how I look at it. So I took a week off and mm -hmm. cleared my head, kind of regrouped. I just let the stress go. I let the pressure go of like, you know, stuff happens, right? You win deals. Sometimes you lose deals. Sometimes contracts fall out of contract. You know, sometimes you lose money on earnest money, whatever, right? This is just one of my battle scars that I have to go through. Fast forward 30 days later, my other mentors or my real mentors that I had at the time, they called me and they're like, Hey, Tim, we got a deal under contract. It's closing in two weeks. You have been the only person in our lives that have just continually raised your hand and asked for things to do. And just, you've just led with value, never asked for anything in return. And they're like, the only way that we can repay you for everything that you've done for us we want to cut you into this deal. We're going to give you 8% of the deal and you know, help out with the asset management. You'll get to learn how to do all these different types of things, et cetera, and so forth. And that's how I got into my first deal. And then after we did that deal, it was deal after deal after deal after deal after deal because I was on the other side of the fence then at that point. And it's just, you know, we were kind of talking about this before we came on the show was that image of two guys digging, right? And one mm -hmm. guy stops digging before he hits one more strike to hit the diamond or whatever. And it's so absolutely true. And I just, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about all the wins and the rah, rah and Facebook, we close another deal, we're crushing it. But you don't hear about the people that are struggling, that are those, those guys that are digging the ditches, trying, trying to find that diamond. And I feel like that's probably one of the most values that I can bring to your listeners is that, you know, it I was, if I had quit right then and there, 30 days later, I would have found success. I mean, 30 days in the grand scheme of things is nothing, right? In a real estate transaction. So I just want to say, like, just keep going. I mean, it's one of the sayings that I like to think of is opportunity gets tired of persistence. Because if you're persistent and you keep going, no matter what you're doing, you will eventually find an opportunity. And that's what happened to me. I just kept with it. I didn't quit. And I don't want anybody out there, else out there to quit either because 30 days after we did my, 60 days after I did my first deal, I quit my W-2 job and I went full-time into real estate. Now, I didn't have all the answers figured out. I didn't have a ton of money coming in the door. I didn't have everything figured out, but I believed in myself. I saw my future trajectory in this industry. And I said, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. And I'm glad that I did. It was the hardest thing I ever did, did do was quit my W-2 job. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I cried like my last day. I was scared. I was scared. You don't have all the answers figured out. You don't have that job security, that steady paycheck, all of those types of things. But the belief that I had in myself and that my wife had in me in order to be successful in this industry pushed me to make that decision. And look, here I am now, not even 10 months after it, and you know, done $20 million worth of deals, another $25 million set to close over the next two to three months. 
I mean, 50 million in my first, or yeah, like $45 million in my 12 months of real estate. Like, where am I going to be five years from now? So, right. Exactly. Well, and, and first and foremost, shout out to your wife and all the other spouses out there that, that prop us up and keep us going, because I feel like I've had that same conversation with my wife. I know there are plenty of people that have that spouse that continues to push them and do that kind of stuff. And they see the hours, the dedication, all the stuff that goes into it and the sacrifice that you're making to do that. So love that, that you have somebody that helps prop you up and keep you going. It's so interesting that you know, you, you worked relentlessly and, and oftentimes it feels like you, you are working for free in those early days. You're doing all this work. You're doing all this underwriting. You're chasing leads. You're, you know, shaking hands with brokers. You're, you're talking to investors. There's a ton of stuff that goes into it. And it all feels like for, for not until you actually get something on the hook and you, you're able to get into a deal and close it. And you've mentioned it a few times, but that kind of the law of the first deal, We've heard countless times on the show, and I, and I love the stories, that it really just takes that one. Then brokers honestly know. They, they say they believe you. They, they really don't until you get that first deal. Know that you can get something closed. You're going to be able to asset manage it. You're going to be able to operate the property, bring money to the closing table, the whole nine yards. You really have to get into that. I, I'm interested from your perspective. What were, those, what were those conversations like with brokers, with investors, after you got your first deal, you pushed past that initial hurdle. What was it? What was their response after that in getting that first deal? Did anything change? Were any of their responses or conversations different after you got the first deal? You know, it's it's hard to say that conversations or anything were different. I think what happened was I became somebody different. You know, this age-old saying of it's if you want to be a millionaire, it's not what you have to do to become one, it's who you need to become. When you do that first deal, you have this different swagger, right? You have this different confidence about you. You know that you've been through it. You've done, you've, you're on the other side of the fence in this equation now. And when I had done it, like we were still like in a, in the, I wouldn't even say it's the peak of the market. It was still rapidly rising market. And, Mm -hmm. and conversations still with brokers were like, okay, cool. Well, I'm just going to go bring this to the next guy that's going to overpay. But I had enough confidence in myself at that point saying, I know what I was doing the whole time was working. And mm-hmm. just because somebody else out there is willing to take returns that I'm not doesn't mean that I'm wrong. And you don't fully get that until you do your deal. You're underwriting everything probably correctly. It's somebody out there is willing to accept a lower return or because they have a 1031 or they're a hedge fund or there's some family office or there's somebody that doesn't need 15 to 20% average annual returns. Maybe they're uncomfortable with eight to 10. Or they're just underwriting it wrong. Or they're underwriting it wrong, right? But you know now deep in your heart that what you're doing, what you've learned, what you've in, what you've implemented is all correct. And it just gives you that confidence to say no. Because when you're looking for your first deal, you want everything to be a yes. I'm going to figure out how to make this work. But once you have as many deals as, as we have now and you've done your first deal, I say no to stuff all the time. I love saying no because I don't need your deal. I have so I have six other deals that brokers are, they don't even send me an OM because I said, if you send me an OM, I don't want to see it because I know it's already been picked over. And they're mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? I was like, I know that the best deals, all you get is a T12 and a rent roll and that's mm-hmm. it, nothing else. And and that's how we get all of our deals now is, is we've just pretty much set that expectation with the brokers of, Hey, don't send this to me if you've made an OM. Cause then 
I know it's already been picked over by your top 10 guys. And I'm one of those top 10 guys. If I make you an offer, I'm going to execute on it. And knock on wood, we've never backed out of a deal. We've never retraded on a deal. We close and we do exactly what we say we're going to do. My offer is not always the highest, but I know that in my markets, I'm one of the most connected people in my markets. I have the relationships with the best property management company and the best contracting company out there. So I know exactly what I can do with this property on income expenses and rehab. And if the, if the seller is not willing to accept my offer, I'm not willing to overpay for it. Mm -hmm. I've talked about it before in my previous job in corporate sales. I listened to this wonderful podcast that I still think is incredibly relevant called the Advanced Selling Podcast. And they, they have three founding principles. And one of them is the law of abundance. And the other one is the law of detachment. The other one's positive mindset, but those two mo are mostly applicable to what you're talking about. And if you're chasing your first deal, oftentimes you attach yourself so much to a deal that you get blinded by the, the red flags that are potentially there. You don't trust your underwriting because you feel like you need almost any and every deal that comes across your desk. And there's a lot more weight on those deals that are coming in into your funnel when you don't have a property under your belt. You don't have other ones that you can take down everything just hangs in the balance on all these individual deals, but you have to remove yourself from that mindset and think, you know, just because this doesn't work out, doesn't mean there's not going to be another one down the road. And, and to your point, you're at that point where now where you have that luxury to do that. But I know there are a lot of people listening to this that are grinding it out. They're trying to get that first one in it. It feels like everything's hanging in the balance. It's really not. There are tons out there. Trust your underwriting. For those listening, I will I will throw this out there. Tim is a fantastic underwriter. We've seen and worked with some of your underwriting in the past. Tim is fantastic at underwriting. He he's probably one of the best in the industry. So when he talks about his underwriting's on point and, and it didn't maybe always feel like that, it, it can you, you have those uphill mental battles along the way. But now you know and you know that you're right and you're dialed in for that kind of stuff. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate the kind words there for sure. Yeah, for absolutely. Well, and, and we mean it and. Uh, that's probably as good enough spot as ever to wrap up, Tim. It, it's honestly been, been a pleasure to have you on the show. I know we've chatted in the past, just all, offhand and off camera and that kind of stuff, but it, it's truly been an honor to have you on here, learn from some of the things you've gone through in your career. And hopefully when people hear this, they if they're chasing that first deal, whether it's single family, multifamily, any asset class, know that you're you're just one dig away from being able to hit that gold mine and to be able to get to where you really want to be. So honestly, Tim, thank you for joining. For those that want to work with you, learn from you, connect with you, invest with you, whatever it may be, where's the best place people can find you at on the interwebs? So if you're interested in some of the deals that we have available, go to my website, upsidecapitalgroup.com. There's an investor portal that you can sign up. We have a lot of opportunities. Some are 506B, some are 506C, so accredited and non-accredited. We, we have a variety of deals. It's funny to say, actually, most of the really good deals that we do is not accredited because our investors just gobble it up before we can even have to go to market with it. So join my investor portal if you're looking for those really good deals. Secondly, I started a Facebook group called Making Moves, the real estate community. So join us on, on Facebook and we got some really exciting stuff coming out in the next week or two, some things that we've been working on, think underwriting and think community. So just a kind of a, a heads up there, but super excited about the things that are coming up in the future. And, you know, if you have any questions, I'm happy to help out as best as I can. Shoot me a message on Facebook or whatever. 
Perfect. And we'll drop as many links as we can in the chat for y'all to be able to access that. And listen, if Tim is doing anything with underwriting, make sure your, your eyeballs are glued to the screen on that one. I promise you it'll be well worth it. Tim, again, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you, sir. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You as well. And hey, everyone, thanks for listening and watching at home. We'll see everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.